You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks as always for joining us this week. A lot to talk about always. We have Afghanistan imploding. I've got some information that Judicial Watch uncovered, which I think will provide you some useful context. Goes back away, but you're going to want to uh, watch this because the media won't tell you about the real background about Afghanistan. Uh, we have a new lawsuit targeting the Pentagon's illicit spying, in my view, on our troops. Uh, plus, we have new documents about the January 6 disturbance, namely details of the media pressure of the medical examiner of Washington, D.C., related to his conclusions about the death of Officer Sicknick. And then, of course, you have Biden corruption issues popping up again with the hypocritical refusal to turn over certain key information about who's visiting him at his home in Delaware. Uh, first up, though, is the, uh, the case of Officer Sicknick. Of course, uh, we have been told by the media for months, or we have been told for, by the media for months, uh, that Officer Sicknick had been um, murdered. He was murdered by the rioters on January 6th. But it turns out, in fact, he died of natural causes the day afterwards. It was a stroke. And by natural causes, it means it doesn't mean anything that happened on January 6th led to his death. Otherwise, that wouldn't be natural causes under the report of the Office of Medical Examiner for D.C. Now, of course, Judicial Watch was the only one who sued for information about the sicknick death. You may recall the medical examiner delayed his determination until April 19th. He died on January 6th or January 7th, actually. So why the delay? I think it was political. Uh, and, and the fact remains that we only received the death report about sicknick after Judicial Watch sued in court over it. So we've sued the doc for documents and we've been getting them. Obviously, uh, uh, a big batch came through uh, the other day or nearly 2,400 pages of documents and they're worth going through. You can look at them on our website at judicialwatch.org. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, well, I'll wait a second here before I try that. But we have uh, all the documents on our website. So you can look at them yourselves, including the emails I'm about to discuss with you. And what's interesting is that the emails included emails from the media to the Office of Medical Examiner, uh, which I read to be questioning, questioning the medical examiner's conclusions. And I wanted to show you the emails here. I'm going to share the screen here. Hopefully we can figure out how to get over there. That's my web page. So here's the press release, you see. Judicial Watch obtains additional documents on death investigation of Capitol Hill police officer Sicknick. Show media pressured medical examiner on natural causes conclusion. And so you can see the emails yourself here. This is the first email, it's from Sarah Mims, who's a reporter for um, BuzzFeed. <sighs> There seems to be discrepancy, she writes at the bottom, between the report, which says the death was natural and not hastened by an injury, and M.E. Diaz's interview with the Washington Post. 
And I guess the medical examiner is quoted to the post. Obviously, the post is pressuring the medical examiner, too, because he uh, actually said something at odds with his actual report. The medical examiner noted Sicknick was among the officers who engaged the Capitol mob and said all that transpired played a role in his condition. Actually, he didn't say that in his official report. This is just a statement made to the Post. We and other media need clarity on this. U.S. Capitol Police said at the time that Sicknick died due to injuries sustained while on duty. Does the medical examiner agree or not? And up there, she writes again. I'm following up here to see if there's any additional clarity on Chief Medical Examiner Diaz's comment to the Washington Post. And not, you know, as I noted, and not hastened by injury. I'm cutting, I'm not going to read everything to you because you can see it here. I'm really pressing for clarity. So this is a sound like a reporter who is interested in figuring out what went on or someone concerned that the conclusion is what they wanted it to be. Well, you know how I interpret it. Another news story here from uh, a reporter from uh, Jen Christensen, who is writing for CNN. So Warner Media, CNN. My name is Jen Christensen. I've been asked to write a story about the death of Officer Stitnick, particularly how someone could die of natural causes after a traumatic event. I apologize if you released this already. I'm covering this from a medical perspective and just coming into the story today. Is this something we could get a copy of? Or is there someone in the office we can speak to about the report? By the way, I don't think they released to us the full medical examiner report. That's still been withheld. There's a lot of confusion from readers and we just want to educate them about the matter. So how is it you read these emails? I read these emails, as I say in the press release, as a skeptical of the conclusion and showing, in my view, let me turn this off for now. Let me get back to you. My sorry face here. Hold on one second. There we are. Here I am. Uh, I read it to mean, or these emails to show, that they had an interest in pushing the narrative that uh, Sicknick was killed on the, by the rioters. And I, I sense disappointment in these emails. As I say, the emails read as if the left media had an interest in pressing the false narrative that Officer Sicknick was killed by protesters. So, you know, what's lacking in these emails are questions about why did it take you four months to tell us this? Why is it you allowed the American people to be fed false information because the documents suggest they knew early on the real causes for the death. But in the meantime, there was that impeachment for which the president, Trump, was accused of inciting murder. The medical examiner had this information. It's pretty clear they had it early on. Why was there del the delay? Let's say it was March. Why was there the delay till April? So where's the skepticism from the media? Who did you tell about the circumstances of his death and when? Who else knew early on about the fact that Sicknick was not murdered? He died of natural causes. It was not a homicide. And of course, you know, they stalled the release of the detail we uncovered. And the only homicide was of Ashley Babbitt. I talked about that yes, last week.
So the Office of Medical Examiner is a political player. You can see that in the Washington Post story that the media gets excited about. And you can see it in the questioning. They want to know why it is the Washington, in my view, they're asking, why did you stop playing ball? Why did you stop? Why did you burst the media narrative that he died from natural causes? Is there any way we can get you the backtrack from that? How do you read those emails? This is what I love about what Judicial Watch does. We put out the information and the, it's there. The emails are there. They're printed in full. You can look at them and draw your own conclusions. Does that look like a media interested in getting at the truth or a media tit that their anti-Trump, anti-conservative narrative suffered a hit because we got the full truth about the circumstances of the tragic death, early death of a police officer? There's, as I said, there's 2,400 documents there, 2,400 pages of documents. So I encourage you to review them all uh, because there may be things I didn't see or my colleagues didn't see. It's pretty clear in the documents that they considered this case to be sensitive. It looks like the FBI and other federal officials were in at the, um, during the autopsy, they were there present for the autopsy, which I guess isn't surprising. They had a draft toxicology report completed on March 2nd, 2021. So presuming that they wanted all of the full information about toxicology and other issues, they knew, for instance, a month earlier, there was no toxic, there was a toxicology issue here, or they had information that could have helped them draw a conclusion more quickly than they actually did. And I'm sorry, guys, I guess I don't have to apologize to you. But the reality is, for those of you who think the reality is different, that whenever there's a death investigation in Washington, DC, and I'm sure it's true in other big cities, that has political ramifications, it's almost always compromised, derailed, or otherwise messed with in an inappropriate way. And in this case, I think the timing was uh, inappropriately slow to allow the left to maximize the political benefit they saw from tying the death of Walter Sicknick to actions by President Trump and conservatives and people who questioned how the elections were run in 2020. I mean, just, I want you to remember that, that if you question how the elections were won in 2020, they blamed you for the death of Officer Sidney. And that provides context to those media questions, doesn't it? So I encourage you to go ahead and look at all these documents. Um, and the other thing interesting about this is that we see who else was asking for documents. And you know who else was asking for documents? The other media were. There were 10 requests for the medical examiner's documents here. And they all den they denied every single one of them, including Judicial Watch. And guess who's the only one that followed up? Judicial Watch. Judicial Watch is the only one who was willing to do the heavy lifting on this, on this death of an officer whose death supposedly was the most important death in American history, if you believe the left media. Part of an incident worse than 9-11. And we're the only ones suing for the information. We're even appealing the rejection of the information because the appeal is just an administrative appeal. We only sue after that, after that's denied, which it was, if I recall correctly. 
So now we're in court over. We're thinking, oh, it wasn't court over. Can you believe it? We're ha I'm happy to do the work, but it just shows you how decrepitly corrupt this city is that it's just Judicial Watch asking for basic information about something as important as the January 6th Capitol Hill disturbance. Something allegedly as important as the Capitol Hill disturbance. I mean, it just shows you they don't really care about it. They don't care about the truth of what happened. Otherwise, we'd have a be one of a dozen media organizations in court demanding answers. They're not doing that. They're not doing that at all. We're suing for the 14,000 hours, allegedly, that they have of the videos. No one else is. We're suing about who knew what and when about January 6th. No one else is. So for all the noise you hear and the caterwauling you hear about it, don't you believe it? It's just political. They don't care about the truth. Judicial Watch cares about the truth, especially when the falsehoods are being used to suppress the civil liberties and target and harass and intimidate tens of millions of American citizens in order for one side of the political spectrum to retain, obtain, retain and obtain, retain or obtain power. So I'm not intimidated. Judicial watches isn't intimidated about all of the hyperbole around January 6th. We're going to ask sane, basic questions and demand that our government and Congress comply with the rule of law in being accountable to the American people. And we're in court over it. So it's not just me yapping here on the internet. I'm not getting paid by the White House to promote government propaganda, which is what they're doing for COVID. Don't get me started on that. I'm here because Judicial Watch is, is the people's watchdog in Washington, DC. We're supported by voluntary contributions. So I'm here for the American people. Judicial Watch, my colleagues, we're here because we love the country, we love the law, we love the Constitution, we love our freedoms. Not because we're being paid to uh, participate in propaganda programs by the Biden White House, which is literally happening. <sighs> so frustrating. And we're investigating it, don't worry. So we'll, I'm sure we'll have some documents on the use of your tax dollars to promote propaganda to our children about vaccines. I shouldn't distract you or myself with uh, comments like that because it just gets me madder. We're gonna do something about it. We're in court at least trying to expose what went on, which is more than anyone else in this town is doing. That's for sure. Well, speaking of propaganda, uh, the Pentagon is full-on CRT. Critical race theory, obviously. Is the, the CRT is the shorthand for critical race theory, uh, which is another shorthand for repackaged Marxism. Substitute class for race. Uh, and a lot of these leftist identity-related theories are, are Marxist. And they essentially presume that Anyone who disagrees with the radical left view of the world is to be punished, monitored, suppressed. And uh, the fact that anyone disagrees with them and institutionally that those views are respected 
uh, is a sign that the institution is corrupted and needs to be overturned. So it's a revolutionary analysis of America. We're institutionally racist and that racism must be drummed up, drummed out. And all, no rules barred, no holds barred and going after folks. And that includes spying on the social media posts of troops for no good reason. And then they're not looking at social media posts to make sure they're not terrorists or, uh, you know, advocating for some sort of criminal activity or, you know, they're working for a foreign group or something. That's not why they're looking at it. They're looking at it to pursue the January 6th left-wing agenda, which is to target anyone critical of the Biden administration or left-wing policies as being someone who's a national security risk and a terrorist. So that's why uh, the Biden Defense Department announced that's, that's not, it's not why they say it, but it's why I think they said it. This counter, countering violent extremism program, it's not even violent extremism. It's called the Insider Threat Program. You know, our military used to be worried about foreign threats. And we were told that the idea that the military would target domestic threats was an anathema to our constitutional system. Not unless you're the left though, you use the military for any reason you want. Of course, those of us who understand the left understand the left, the totalitarian uh, instinct of the left, uh, that's perfectly aligned with their views. This is what the press secretary said, John Kirby, who I think is an Obama, shouldn't say holdover because you know, I'm sure his buddies were there at the Defense Department for a few years after he left the Obama administration, but he's, I think he's an old Obama guy. He's back under Biden. So Kirby says, part of the insider threat program is to take a look at social media activity out there so that we can be as informed as, pos informed as, as possible. There is, again, the insider threat. You know, right now when there's a concern about the potential of the threat coming from the inside, who has that concern? Do you have that concern? I don't have that concern. What they have a concern about is there are Americans who don't believe the elections were administered in a fair way and they want to attack them. There are Americans who reject Joe Biden's extremist policies. They want to attack them. And by calling them terrorists, it's one way to push back, demoralize and suppress your opposition. And, that, and, and what they're trying to do is target people who have conservative views in the military and suggesting they're all terrorists. You know, and they were asked about what was the document behind this insider threat analysis. So we asked. And they, of course, they didn't make it public. So we're asked for it and we didn't get it. There's a memorandum immediate actions to counter extremism in the department. Again, that includes monitoring social media. Pursuit of scalable and cost-effective capabilities to screen publicly available electronic information in, accession, in accessions and continuous vetting 
for national security positions. And as I say in the release, no one's being fooled. The Biden Pentagon is abusing its authority to spy on the social media posts of troops who espouse conservative views that the Pentagon is hiding documents. Of course, we're, we asked for documents about this scheme and we've been rejected. They haven't responded. That the Pentagon is hiding documents about this big brother program is, in, is um, obviously it's a violation of law and it's doubly concerning. So not only is the program concerning, their cover-up of it further sows doubts in the legality and appropriateness of what they're doing. So these are terrible times for our country. Our military leadership uh, is, is woke, and I don't use that as a compliment. And our troops are being abused. I mean, God bless our troops. I, I you know, I, I was never in the military. Um, but can you imagine being a young conservative in the military, starting your career out, or an officer just trying to do their work? You know, they've they've put in the time and the effort and the risk, and they're for, far along in their career, and they run into this buzzsaw of CRT propaganda and intimidation. I mean, I talked about the fact we're suing over West Point's um, propaganda program that they're requiring cadets to do, the Army's rising leadership. And, where, and who's, who's taking control of this? Who's, who's, who's taking this on as an issue? Not Republicans in Congress. You had the leadership, the Republican leadership of the Senate by and large, vote for an infrastructure bill that espoused critical race theory philosophy. It didn't say critical race theory, but it used the language promoted discriminatory programs, which is based on critical race theory. They think you can discriminate by race. They don't believe in the American way that people be treated according to their merit. And this was supported by the Republican leadership of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, every, every top leader of the Senate. I think 19, was it 19 Republicans? You can look it up. Besides the monstrous expense and the fact that the country is practically speaking bankrupt, that's another issue. But it was the ideology that this money is being used to advance this radical, as I say, repackaged Marxism, communism, whatever you want to call it. But it's that. And this isn't liberalism. This is this is Marxism and communism. And it's leading to to spying on you know and i love how they say the public social media posts well you know the government can't spy on you even looking at public information not if they're creating a record and a file on it i mean we've highlighted that issue and you have all these left-wing lawyers and such online say well you know they can, they can look at this it's stupid to say they can't look at that well, you know that's just ignorance that's just ignorance So now they're going to be creating files, it looks like, on, on troops and their political beliefs. I hope we have an army. Of course, after, after you know, and of course, this is the goal of the, of the left, which is to, A, make the army unappealing to those who would 
be effective fighters in defense of the country and turn it into a political arm of enforcement. Just what they want to do with the police. They're not anti-police. They're not anti-military. They don't want to use the police for the reasons that regular Americans do to defend the rule of law in the case of the military to defend the country. They see individuals who work for the government, no matter what capacity, as political tools to be used for whatever reason they want, including the suppression of the citizenry. I mean, they prefer to have the police be commissars, walking around, making sure you're wearing your mask and things like that. And that's something they're more comfortable with rather than protecting life and limb as police traditionally are supposed to be doing. But I digress, I digress. So speaking of the military, we have this crisis in Afghanistan caused by um, uh, Joe Biden's mishandling of it. Now, I'm not gonna pretend to tell you what should be done in Afghanistan. I have my own views, but you know, one thing I learned after 9-11, or one thing I concluded after 9-11, watching everyone talk about terrorism and Bin Laden and Afghanistan and the Middle East and all, all, everyone all of a sudden was an expert. No one knows what they're talking about. So what your view is on Afghanistan, I probably give as much credence and, and respect as the liars that are running our institutions here in Washington, DC. Because I'm sure you look at Afghanistan in a good faith way, without an angle, without an agenda. And you're like, well, what should we really be doing here? You know, you don't want our national security to be put at risk, but on the other hand, you don't want our troops to be there forever in a day. And I'm sure you thought about it. But do you think there's an honest analysis like that in our defense, our woke defense department or the hacks that run our national security agencies? And I don't mean that in terms of, I mean, that's a, that's a criticism of both Republican and Democrat administrations. So I thought, you know, in light of what's going on in Afghanistan and the propaganda that's now being force fed us as the Joe Biden administration, uh, you know, tries to distract from its disaster that's Afghanistan. I mean, there, there was, you know, I, I remember specifically, and I'm sure you do too, if you were following the news, oh no, this is not going to be like another Vietnam. We're not going to have helicopters lifting off. Well, they're sending 3000 troops in to evacuate our embassy personnel. And they were thinking that it would be months long slog at least uh, before we had to grapple with the Taliban. Well, the Taliban are just taking over the country and probably have it taken over by the end of next week if things go as fast as they've been going thus far and putting our personnel there in immediate or harm's way. But I, one thing I'd like to highlight here is we're not Johnny come lately to this. We've been doing this work. We've been doing this, uh, as I like to say, we've been doing this heavy lifting for a long time. And uh, back in 2005, we had filed a lawsuit now, we had filed a lawsuit long before that. It was tied to 2001. And um, we had asked for documents about bin Laden. Because remember, he was in the Middle East. I think, now I'm going on memory. I probably shouldn't do that. I think he was in the Sudan, and then he fled to Afghanistan. Uh, and we got this document that was just an earth shaker. And I think it was purposely given to us by someone in the government because it's the sort of thing that typically would have been withheld. So someone wanted to blow the whistle for FOIA, I suspect. 
And the document was a State Department intelligence analysis dated in 1996, five years before 9-11, that warned of bin Laden's, um, his running to Afghanistan wasn't a sign of weakness. In fact, it would embolden him to engage in more terrorism. And the Biden people, excuse me, the Clinton people were warned five years before 9-11 about the risk Biden, uh, excuse me, bin Laden. Um, uh, that the risks of bin Laden's terrorism to U.S. interests worldwide. I want to share with you what uh, we found because I think it's important and provides context. You won't hear anyone else, so you know this is an educational moment for you here. Let me go back to our website. So this is my Facebook page, Real Tom Fitton, if you're wanting to know. This is great. This is what heavy lifting looks like. Judicial Watch exposes the Ashley Babbitt investigation emails, Office of Sicknick documents, and the Fauci agency fund, funding a fetal organ chop shop. Talked about that last week. It's gotten even worse. So this is the document here. My, my Facebook post. It's also on our Instagram. Speaking of Afghanistan, Judicial Watch exposed how Clinton gang largely ignored intelligence warnings about the bin Laden terror threat there 25 years ago, five years between before 9-11. And this is what the New York Times wrote in 2005 about our find. State Department analysts warned the Clinton administration in July 1996, 25 years ago this month or last month, that Osama bin Laden's move to Afghanistan would give him even more dangerous haven, give him an even more dangerous haven as he sought to expand radical Islam well beyond the Middle East. But the government chose not to deter the move, newly declassified documents show. In what would prove a prescient warning, the State Department intelligence analyst said in a top secret assessment on Mr. Bin Laden that summer that his prolonged stay in Afghanistan where hundreds of Arab Mujahideen received Receive terrorist training and key extremist leaders often congregate could prove more dangerous to U.S. interests in the long run than a three-year liaison with Khartoum in Sudan. Again, the declassified documents obtained by the conservative legal advocacy group Judicial Watch. So here are the documents. Let me go back. I want to show you the document. The smoking guns that, the, that even the New York Times admitted make the Obama look bad. I mean, look at this. Unclassified terrorism, Osama bin Laden, who's chasing whom? Bin Laden's willingness to issue recent public anti-Western threats hardly fits the image of a man running scared, and he may have played a role in the June Kobar Towers bombing. By the way, when we first got this document, they withhold a bunch of information showing that they knew he was a, a vicious terrorist. And then three years later, they gave us a more complete document, which makes the document look even worse because it wasn't like Bin Laden was just some PR guy. He was a terrorist and they, he was warned, they were warned he was a terrorist. So this is what these secret documents look like when they're given to Judicial Watch. And I wanna to go, to to go to the last page because I guess the summary. With pressure mounting against the mounting from the United States and some Muslim states, especially Saudi Arabia and Egypt, I guess the pressure, in my view, wasn't all that strong. Bin Laden seemingly should be also on, should be on the run, but his willingness to speak more openly to the press 
about his militant opposition to the Saudi regime in the West just more, a man emboldened by recent events, whether or not he was involved in them. He may believe tension in Saudi Arabia are uh, tensions in Saudi Arabia are ripe for exploiting through increased terrorism. Keeping bin Laden on the move by reducing his haven options will inconvenience him, but his informal and transnational network of businesses and associates will remain resilient. Even a bin Laden on the move can retain the capacity, capability to support individuals and groups who have the motive and wherewithal to attack U.S. interests almost worldwide. And as the New York Times noted, they did nothing. So again, this to me is, I'm going to shut off my share screen here. This to me is, uh, shows you why the left is an enemy of history and why they hate memory and they don't want you to know the full truth and they want you to forget everything that a normal person would track as they're watching something like the war in Afghanistan. Five years before 9-11, the Clinton administration, many folks who worked for or in or with are now in government now, was warned specifically about bin Laden's terrorist activities and how he would be emboldened on them in Afghanistan. And they did nothing. And then 9-11 happened. And now it's 20, 20 years later, right? We're facing the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and Afghanistan is still a mess. So I don't know what warnings they're being ignored right now, but you can bet they are. As I said, that analysis that you and I would go through as American citizens who have a good faith interest in protecting the lives of our troops and the national security of the United States, that's not being calculated by the gang and couldn't shoot straight, Joe Biden and company. So, I, you know, it's rare that I go, but I should do more of this because I, in my view, Judicial Watch has so much information out there and it's still outrageous. I don't know about you, but I found that document pretty outrageous. I don't know about you, but I still remember the 3,000 people almost who was killed, were killed on 9-11. I remember them. I remember their honor. I remember their memory and honor. Their legacies. And the boobs who are running our government were warned about the men and the man who were, was behind killing them all, and they did nothing about it. There's been zero, well, I shouldn't say zero accountability, but little accountability for it. I mean, certainly the only accountability has been through Judicial Watch in many ways. I mean, where would it be without Judicial Watch? So I should go back and do more best of Judicial Watch because many of the documents are still important because they provide you know, the fact checkers like to say missing context. Virtually everything you read is missing context. I say the leftist fact checkers, but they don't care about the missing context for their stories that advocate their narrative or ignore the truth about what went on. And I, to me, this is big context. So I'm glad I was able to, because you know, sometimes I forget about this stuff. You know, we have a great staff here at Judicial Watch and we, you know, we, Sometimes forget about stuff. It's like, oh yeah, we, we found that stuff in 2005. Those were great documents. We should talk about them again. Because they were warned about Afghanistan. They were warned about it, Bin Laden in 2005, excuse me, in 1996 and did nothing. 
So something else. So I want to move on. Speaking of Biden corruption, I want to move on because uh, this is another big case that Judicial Watch has been involved in over the years. Now, in in uh, nineteen during the Clinton administration, we were kind of the first to uncover through litigation. It wasn't through FOIA. It was uh, we sued the White House and Hillary Clinton over the FBI files abuses. And that litigation resulted in discovery showing Secret Service records showing visits. I forget what they showed in terms of visits, but it doesn't really matter. But it, they were kind of high, they highlighted the fact that there were these documents, Secret Service documents that showed visits. So I think we asked maybe the Clinton administration for more documents. And then the Bush administration came in, George W. Bush's administration came in. And uh, so we wanted documents about visits to the Bush White House, Secret Service documents, Secret Service logs. We wanted them. And uh, and back then, the Bush administration had a scandal, the Jack Abramoff scandal. He was a, uh, a lobbyist here in town and there was Enron and all sorts of scandals. And of course, the left loved that Judicial Watch was asking questions about these. So um, they had to turn over these Secret Service records. And they did not like the resulting press because it was, you know, because the left media pushed, picked it up. Uh, and to me, it wasn't a left-right thing. It was like, well, who's visiting the president? Uh, who was trying to get the government to do favors for their businesses, usually using tax dollars? So the left has interest in that. And it seems to me that people concerned about the spending of tax dollars would have an interest in that. And so the Bush administration hated it. So what they did was they, I, I'm, I, I may legally be off here, but I think I got the story generally straight, is they pretended those Secret Service logs documenting visits to the White House were no longer Secret Service records, that they were for practical purposes White House records, and FOIA doesn't apply to the government, uh, to the White House, only to agencies outside the White House. So the presidency, more or less, is protected from having to turn over documents under the Freedom of Information Act. So that walled off uh, Judicial Watch's ability to get these records. Now, a left-wing group kept on pushing the issue and challenging that declaration that the records were no longer public records under FOIA. Uh, but they settled with their own guy in the Obama White House, literally, Norm Einstein. Norm Eisen, excuse me, Norman Eisen. Um, and they had a settlement that they would get the records voluntarily from the Obama White House. And our view is, well, that's ridiculous. Because something is voluntary, a voluntary isn't enforceable in court, generally. So we sued. Long story short, Judge Garland, who was on the appellate court, came up with a decision that said, no, the White House can do this shell game and keep the record secret. So lo and behold, that judicial watch loss led to these visitor logs not being at least available under FOIA, although the Obama administration was turning them over voluntarily even though they were withholding documents and not really telling us which documents they were withholding, nor could you kind of figure out whether they were even telling you the truth because there was no legal process because it was all voluntary. And I got a funny story. My only visit to the Obama White House was with Norm Eisen, my colleagues and I, Chris Farrell, Paul from the 80s, I don't know who else was there. We went over and visited him and uh, we got a call in talking about, he wanted to talk to us about the visitor logs. And he essentially told us, you know, we're, you know, don't sue us over this and blah. You're trying to be accommodating to us, but while telling us not to fight them on it. 
And he said, and I, this is almost a verbatim quote, if you say good things about us, we'll say good things about you, which I took to be like a mafioso type threat. I just couldn't believe it. So we went, went away and sued. So that was our Obama White House story. And uh, so the Trump administration comes in and they say, well, we're not even going to voluntarily disclose our visitors. And I objected to that. I was disappointed in that. And of course, no one asked Judicial Watch what we thought. They just announced it. But of course, the law had been set by Obama and Bush. So Bush changed the rules. Obama fought us in court to keep them secret. And then President Trump's White House keeps them completely secret. And um, and they said that, and, and it's a fair point, saying the president has the right to meet whoever they want. And there's a privacy interest in all sorts of reasons to keep the record stock private. And my response is, look, you can protect the presidency while disclosing a lot of information about who's visiting the White House. And it's not as disruptive as you say, if there's a national security issue or something sensitive, the FOIA law allows for those types of records to be withheld. So that didn't obviously carry any water. So now we're during in the Biden administration. The Biden administration says, oh, we're great. We're going to release voluntarily again this, these visitor logs. And they started to release, I think, only a portion of them. Again, there's no scrutiny as to what's not being released, but it's voluntary. So there's nothing you can do about it in court. But someone figured out, specifically a New York Post reporter, that, well, Biden's going home 17 times, has gone home to Delaware 17 times. Is he getting visitors there? And are those lists going to be released? And the response from the White House this week, Jen Psaki, was no. So talk about hypocrisy. So they have this big uh, brouhaha saying, we're gonna release all these records documenting visits to the White House because it's in the public interest that they be released voluntarily, but we're going to withhold records showing visits to the president at his home in Delaware. Now, as I told the New York Post in, in a story that was picked up worldwide, that uh, it makes a mockery of the practice of disclosing the records. What are they hiding? The presidency doesn't stop when he's in Delaware, although I don't know what Joe Biden does when he's not in the White House. As you know, I think he has significant cognitive difficulties. So I guess it'd be best if he's not doing any work when he's not, not actually having to do it. But nonetheless, is, is Hunter Biden visiting? There's public interest in knowing that. He's in the news again for more corruption issues. But it just shows you the hypocrisy. They don't believe in transparency. Otherwise, they'd be completely transparent. I mean, at least with the Trump administration, you knew where you stood. They said, as a matter of principle, we don't think we should have to release this information for the reasons they say it does. And the law, and they said, pointing to the law supported by Barack Obama says, we don't have to release it under law. Now, many of, and I didn't think that was the transparent way to go, but on other ways, in other ways, Trump was the most transparent president in American history through his tweeting and other kind of forthright discussion of his uh, thinking processes and his policies and how they uh, changed and evolved, sometimes to the frustration of supporters and enemies, but he was, he was transparent about it. Transparent. 
And here Biden's pretending to be transparent while providing a, a loophole that it could, you could drive a big Burisma truck through, if you know what I mean. So uh, that's that's where we stand on Biden. Now, I don't know if we can get those records under law. You know, maybe our lawyers will take another look and see if we can come up with some other way to get access to the information. But just remember, Biden's pretending to be transparent while actually not being transparent. I guess that's not a surprise. And, you know, hypocrisy isn't limited to just politicians you like. Uh, sometimes they're uh, you dislike there. You, you sometimes get that a lot from politicians that you may like. Uh, so a lot going on. Uh, we have new Fauci documents that are going to come out next week. We have additional documents that uh, are, uh, are uh, that are important in the CRT debate that we will be releasing shortly. Uh, so uh, August is not a slow time for here at Judicial Watch. Now, Congress, the House is getting six weeks off in, in August. The Senate, probably four or five weeks. Their vacation was delayed a bit by their destruction of our economy and and republic uh, uh, with their infrastructure bill. Uh, but uh, they get five, six weeks off. So I'm so, so sure you're not. Certainly Judicial Watch isn't. Uh, and so we'll be here, I hope, God willing, next week with the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. I'll see you here next time. Thank you again for joining us, and I appreciate your support. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.